Hello, this is Comeback, this is Connor, and this is episode 102. Today, I'm going to have a chat with John Keeling. John is from the First Street Belief Music Project here in Vietnam, initially from the UK, and we're going to chat about his background in music, current projects, and more. John, welcome. How are you? Hello, thanks for having me. I'm okay today. You're good? I'm, uh, I'm in, yeah, I'm enjoying the fourth week of lockdown, you know, as much as I can. <laughs> How are you keeping yourself busy? Yeah, like, um, it's the way I, I tend to approach everything. I do a little bit of something, a little bit of something else, and a little bit of something else. So I never finish anything. So I'm always, you know, kind of busy, but not really too busy. Yeah, that's good. I'm keeping occupied <laughs> by this football tournament, to be honest with you. <laughs> Well, it is interesting, eh? Like, um, being a fan of England is quite interesting. We haven't let in a goal, but we haven't really looked like we want to score goals. So Yeah, I must admit, I'm glad that... And then we... you got France, just got France. kicked out. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe it. I woke up and France knocked out on pens. I thought, wow, like, this could be the year, but I don't want to get too excited. I suppose there is a huge game coming up in a few hours' time that might change all that. Do you think it's coming home? <laughs> Do I think I, uh, after ooh, I'm going to nail my colours to the mast and say there's a very strong chance this is the year. I'd say it's definitely possible. I haven't quite said yes or no there, but <laughs> there's a very strong chance it could come home. Do you think it's coming home? We're not going to beat Germany. At all. Not for Tuffy. We can't even touch Germany. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, hopefully... That's my very negative British oh, opinion. That's you know? Okay. Well, hopefully, you know, when we play this podcast back, you know, tomorrow, <laughs> next week, then I'll be like, mm, really? So I, ho I hope you're wrong on that front. But um, yeah, John, let's uh, go into your background a bit then. You are from Wolverhampton, right? Yep, I'm from a place called Wolverhampton. That's near Birmingham in England. Yeah, cool. Um, what's um, what's it like growing up there? Yeah, like? that's where I'm. It's a, sorry. Oh, it's it's a very small city. I, I think it was like one of the smallest cities in England for a long time. Um, yeah, it's just one of those run of the mill working class areas, basically. I think the West Midlands is like um, the poorest area of the country as, as a region. Mm. and uh yeah Wolverhampton it's, it's interesting because it's going through its gentrification stage now so it's getting all the nice all the nice road work done it's getting the cobblestone um pedestrian streets and that kind of stuff and they're building all these fancy bars but from when I was there as a student it, it's all very different and, and I don't know I, I don't really connect with it as much anymore as I used to okay I see so when did you start out in music then? Did you start out in music uh, at a young age growing up in Wolverhampton? How did it all begin for you? Well, I started when I was about 15, uh, in about 2005, maybe when I was 16. In about 2005, I started a band. Um, and it actually all started when, when I met this one guitarist, when we did a, a production of uh, Grease the Musical. Okay. And then a few people in, 
a few people in the cast, we decided to make a band to perform the after party show or the after party for the show. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting event, really. Like, you know, we played some uh, some songs from the actual show itself, like Hound Dog and uh, Those Magic Changes. But then we had some emo songs like uh, Finch. It was, uh, it was a very unusual affair, but that's how I really started doing it. And I met this one guitarist through that experience. And from 2005 till 2012, um, the guitarist and I had like three bands together. And we just, I've always worked with this guy as a musician. And what sort of stuff have you done together? You've always been in bands. Have you done joint projects as a duo? What kind of stuff have you been up to? Well, we've always kind of, um, he's been the lead guitarist. I've been the rhythm guitarist and like the co-writer with the singer. And um, in the second band I had with this guy, with this guitarist, we found a vocalist who I also met through a theatre group. <laughs> and with him from about 2006, I think, to 2012, we made all of our um, bands together. So it's I've always had two other guys I've written all my music with that I've performed with since the beginning, really. Okay. And were there any influences for you in those maybe teenage years or more that would inspire your music? I know the British music scene is world-renowned for the abundance of talent we've produced in the last 50 or so years. Any bands or artists from Britain or beyond that have, really helped inspire your music well well for now it's, it's different from what it was back then but um back then i was more into my emo and my pop punk like it began from when i started listening to the offspring when i was about six years old um my dad had it in a cassette a little cassette tape he put in his uh in his van and i used to love um uh, keep them separated. I said, love that song. Come out and play. But um, it started from that. So there's a lot of punk in my influence, but like the offspring, stiff little fingers that I got from my dad. And then as I got older and started to get into different kinds of rock, my uncle used to make me these compilation CDs. And they had things like U2, Blink 182, Slipknot, um, The Pixies, Cooper Temple Claws, all of these like a massive eclectic mix of music that you just would not put together but all of those I kind of I loved every single song I was given because they, they were like the best of the best of their genre if you know what I mean like yeah, they sure. typified the genre that they came from and yeah and from there as I grew older like skate punk and Tony Hook's pro skater came out um and all those kind of alkaline trio your simple plan and, and all those kind of skate punks um, bands. And that kind of influenced me a lot when I was starting up as a musician in about 2005, 2006. And we had like a lot of skate punk stuff. But then with things like um, the emo scene, when that started to come up and grow, like with your My Chemical Romance, uh, the used Funeral for a Friend, Finch, that kind of made me into more of a, I got into more of like a heavy style. And that kind of moved on into future bands. And then my most recent band before the one I'm starting now um, was called From the Get-Go. And that was 10 years ago when, when, that, when that one was around. 
And they were more of like um, an alternative pop punk kind of emo band, which was, um, it was okay. It was a lot of fun doing that. But that was my influences back then. Yeah. Yeah, I see. And so what I think is important to kind of establish where you've been and where you're at, you're now in Vietnam. Uh, how long have you been here? And what made you decide to, say, move from the UK to Vietnam? Well, I left the UK in 2012. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's been 10 years since I've been been in the UK. But I actually came to Vietnam because two of my best, well, actually three of my best friends moved here that I'd met in China previously. And um, they'd been here for like a year or two before I came. And I decided to stay in China a little longer. And I moved here to be with um, my closest friends that I'd met traveling. Oh, awesome. And you said that you've not been, sorry, you left the UK in 2012. That's nine years ago. You mentioned China. So have you lived anywhere else bar Vietnam? Um, over, the, um, over the years, I started in Greece for two, two and a half years. And then I moved to China for five, six years after then. And then I've, I've been here for like two years now. So my journey has gone through Europe and then to Asia in general. Well, that's crazy. How, how have you found the meat? How- I'm curious here, actually, because I'm not too familiar with music scene, music scenes overseas. How did the music scene differ then from the UK to Greece, first of all? And then once you moved to Asia, what was it all about then? Um, yeah, Greece has a very interesting music scene because they're very big into their like old rock music, like more so than us, like. When I was, because I was teaching there and I've been teaching for the last nine, 10 years, um, I was teaching in Greece and you'd have these 13 year old girls with like scorpions like written on their back. And I'd never even heard of scorpions. And there's a big love, like a massive love for like Black Sabbath and stuff like that and, and your motorhead. And I just remember the night that I moved into Greece and I, I lived in a very small city. Actually, it's a very small town. Um, no one's really heard of it outside of Greece. And I moved there and then I packed my, uh, I unpacked my bags and I thought I'm going to walk around the, the town a bit and see what it's like. And I walked to the end of my street and I just heard, I think I heard the used. I heard just randomly in a random cafe come bar, just the used. And I went in there and it was, sawdust on the floor, wood paneling, guitars on the walls. And there was a gigantic mural. Maybe maybe it was seven meters wide. It was crazy big. And it had the, the Last Supper, but it had Lemmy in the middle. It had um, the singer from Rage Against, the machine there. And it had anybody you could think of. It had Steve Vai. Just, it was like, it was the Last Supper for people that love rock music, you know? Mm. It was amazing. And that kind of typifies, I've used that word too many times already. Uh, <laughs> that kind of shows you um, exactly what the music scenes that there's like, that they love the past and that they absolutely cling on to what, what they can pass down. And um, every, pretty much every single cafe had like an open mic night and just had acoustic acts playing every single night. 
and well, they they would play their story. No, it's okay. Continue. <laughs> I was going to say like that they play like new stuff, but they also play classic Greek songs, and it was just really rich. It was a very musical town, and I don't. Know, it's, it's quite a musical country, really. It, it was nice. It was very yeah. cool. Yeah. So, I'm, to be honest with you, I don't have too much knowledge on Greece as a whole in terms of the music scene. So to hear that is quite fascinating. And then China, how was China's music scene from where you were? Um, from where I was, I'd say it was very, very different, to be honest. I didn't see much of the music scene because I don't think I focused too much on music there. You know, I, I wasn't really in that kind of mindset. Um, it might have been the culture shock. It might have been like, it's, it's a whole thing when you move to a new place, you almost have to reinvent yourself or like learn about what parts of you actually connect with the place that you're in and what parts don't. And you have to alter your, your, your routines, your habits, your personality to fit where you are, you know? And I think being in China and having to get used to this new style of life kind of I kind of got disconnected from that quite a bit for quite a while. I see. And then upon your move to Vietnam, how have you found the scene here? Because I've interviewed several musicians from the city and it seems quite vibrant. It seems like there's some stuff going on here. Um, as it comes to as it comes to the music scene, I'm fairly new. I haven't really ventured too far into it. Um, I've met enough people that are into it, so um, I'm speaking to them, I'm learning from them, and I'm seeing, you know, it's about building connections when it comes to being involved with the music scene. But generally, my my, my knowledge of the music scene... <coughs> Sorry, my uh, device is playing up. No worries, take your time. <coughs> yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, my headphones turned off for some reason. Um, shall I start that again? <laughs> no, no, you said you've spoken to people in the music scene here. You are slightly new to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm slightly new to it. I'm getting, getting to grips with what it's all about. But generally, my um, connections and my actual... The way I've got my foot in the door is through open mic nights. Uh, I didn't really perform for like the last 10 years and my confidence was shook over the, over this period. And I'm just trying to build up confidence again. So generally I was going to, um, to my friends open mic night at um, Capone's and the two musicians there, uh, Chris and Ryan kind of helped me get some confidence, which was good. And they, they like massage my, uh, my fleeting ego, should we say. And then more musicians came along and, I don't know, we liked each other's music and that kind of helped. And I think generally what I got from that is that people tend to help each other, you know? Yeah. And it's important yeah. to foster that kind of mentality in other people too. Like if somebody's feeling kind of bad about something, you could help them out. You could offer them advice. You could listen to what they've got to say. And that's the kind of um, vibe I've got from this music scene that we have here now. Yeah. Like I've met um, a producer called Louise. Mm, and it, yeah, yeah, oh, you've had him on his show, haven't you? Uh, uh, yeah, Sapiola. Yeah. yeah, and um, 
Yeah, and he's been um, he's been very helpful. He's helped me record um, a track and, and get out there, and he's helped me with some ideas on how to how to present myself, how to put it out there to people. Um, yeah, and I'm very thankful for that. You know, that's it. That brings me nicely then to the current project, First Street Boy. What's all that about? How did you start it? What are you doing with it? Do you mind telling me more about it? Yeah, well, it all started when I kind of felt like I wanted to do music again. I wanted to actually, I've always had a guitar and I've messed around and I've sang a few notes, but, I, but I've never actually looked at it seriously for the last 10 years. So I went to go and see a gig and I went to go and see a band called The Kanonos. And um, that was at a bar called Soma in Taudian. Mm. And honestly, they... They blew me away. They had like the same energy that I had back at that I heard from bands back at home. Um, they're just this two-piece, and it's kind of like a very raw post-punk outfit. And the music just had drama, you know. That's what I love. I love in music. I love to hear the drama. I love to hear how the notes connect. I love to hear just in a song. I like to hear something that I wish that I'd written, you know. That that's just what I want to do. I want to find that kind of thing. And I, I saw these play, and there's only two of them. They made such a big sound, and it was so powerful, and you could hear the truth. And then I went home instantly, and I went on YouTube, and I tried to find the song. Like, I was a kid again. I was 30, you know? It was weird. <laughs> and that kind of made me just want to try and do something similar, like try and get that energy out of myself again, try, try and tap into that reserve, you know? And, yeah, I started writing again, and... It took me three months to actually, or like three or four months to actually have something that I thought was good, that I really thought, I thought I'd, 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 like, I'd extracted something worthy from myself. Mm. But the thing is, is the way I was singing it and my, my voice, it was kind of like a soft American, pop punk American voice. I just didn't like it. It didn't suit the song and I needed to change my voice. So... Or, well, and I didn't want anybody else to sing it. So for once, I thought I'm going to try and be the, if I do anything with this music, I want to be the frontman and I want to sing myself. So I spent a few days like training my voice, screaming and singing. And I, I'd, I'd ruin my vocal cords every single night. And I'd wake up with a raw throat. I couldn't speak. And I'd just go again and again and again. And it took a, it took a few weeks for me to actually almost get a decent enough voice to put enough emotion into the song or to capture what I wanted to capture. And the first street belief comes from the moment that I felt everything change. I, I moved into a new apartment and I wasn't very confident. I'd been, when I moved to Vietnam, I got sick and typical, I don't know if it's a male thing or if it's a British male thing, but I ignored it and then I was going to deal with it, but then COVID hit and I didn't want to go near a hospital. And then I moved apartments and a month later it uh, nearly killed me. So I had to go to hospital and uh, came out after then I still felt a bit blue and then things started to change. You know, I'm, I'm, I met a very nice girl who, um, who helped me a lot got me through a lot of things. 
helped me find a lot of confidence and she supported me, even though I'm very negative towards myself. And it's just the idea of being in this place, this, this, this first street, it kind of turned everything around for me, you know, and that's basically it. You know, it's sorry. It went a bit drab there. No, not at all. I find that fascinating. Do you think that period where you became ill and it really did affect you, do you think that has inspired first street belief is in that now having previously struggled with confidence, you're going for it now. You are the front man. You're releasing your music and you're putting yourself out there in a way that maybe you wouldn't have done before. Yeah, potentially, like, um, like I'm good friends with a man called Jimmy from Jimmy's Pizza. And I, rem I remember the day when I first played him that first song I told you I wrote, the first one that made me change my voice. And I played him that and he said, it's so good. And he, and he was he was amazed. And I was like, really? And then, you know, I played him a few more and, and he was just shocked. And he's like, it's, it's really good stuff. And it did help inspire me. And. And the, the entire setting around this, this apartment of mine, you have good people nearby. I've got great house, well, great people in the apartment building. I live, I live right near the pizza place, which is lovely. Um, it's got an amazing rooftop as well, which just sitting there in the sun. And I just, I feel like I can be as loud as I want and, and, and just maybe I'm annoying people, but I don't really care. Um, but yeah, everything around this, it, it, it's definitely inspired my confidence. It's, it's kind of like, I, I just, I look at it like a graph, you know, everything was, was low and now it's gone up, you know, it's, it's measurable. I can really feel different. Um, I still suffer with confidence, um, you know, but if you don't try things, you don't get anywhere. So I, I, like I said, I try and do little bits of things every single day. Because even if you do something small, you make a difference. And, and, and it's, if, it, if it's a tangible change or a tangible bit of progress, it's definitely worth doing. I completely agree with you on that front, especially the small steps. I think often we overestimate what's needed to do to change, where we'll look at something, for example, my podcast your music will look and think oh but you need this and this and this when if you think if you slowly develop yourself working on say a little bit on a voice one day a little bit on songwriting the next whatever that could be then ultimately small incremental changes add up and can yield astonishing results yeah exactly no it's it's like um rome wasn't built in a day and it wasn't built by one person either, you know? So it's, it's important to give things time to grow. That, that, that's the main thing. If you give things time to grow, they, they may actually just grow in a way that you didn't even expect. But things take time. It takes effort. You know, you got to keep chipping away at whatever you're doing, whatever you're trying to build. And it's definitely important to have the right people around you as well. Hugely. And so you have released, have you released one single with First Street Belief? Yeah, I've released one single uh, called Love Lost. Um, yeah, mainly it's just a way to show people what I want to do, the kind of idea, what I'm, the kind of sound I want to put out there. 
And I'm, I'm currently looking for musicians to join the project. So mainly that's what it's for. It, it's for people to enjoy and listen to. Well, I hope they enjoy it. But mainly it's so I can get people, um, a drummer, a bass player, a guitarist, and say, rather than just say, I'm looking for a band, I'm saying, here's the sound I want, I want to do. I want to be a little bit selfish because I've never been a frontman before, but I've actually, I've got a, a long list of songs that kind of, they do fit a mold and they do fit a sound. And I, I do think it's a good sound. Yeah. And obviously you have, say, a catalogue of creative material that could, that you could re release or unleash throughout the next few months, right? Yeah, that's the aim. I'm recording a second song now. Um, so I hope it's a lot different. It's a lot soft, it's a lot uh, softer and sadder. Um, again, it, it's the first release. Um, it has a lot of meaning. It's about me first. A bit of it references my time when I moved to Greece, but generally it's it's about this. It's about um, what we've been talking about. Um, it's about putting time in things. It's about you make mistakes, who cares? You know, like um, I hate to quote a lyric, but it says takes tries to get it right in life, you know? Yeah. Uh, if you don't try the first time, just try again. You know, you, you don't get things right the first time, but knowing that you've been wrong or knowing that you've made a mistake or knowing that something isn't perfect, it's still knowledge. You know, it's still something that you understand. And if you understand something, then you have a, you have an, like, like a tangible, I don't know, grasp of it. And then you can mold it yourself again. You yeah. Know? I feel like often <laughs> we don't make the changes because we don't want to look stupid, but a great way of, you know, turning that inner critic down is realizing if, for example, I make a mistake on this podcast or you make a mistake with music, whatever, nobody really cares because they're already thinking about their own problems too much to really acknowledge it. And once I realized yeah. that, I thought, yeah, that is so true. Often the, mistakes that we make aren't really that uh de destabilizing we just make them out to be in fear of our public image when in reality it's an illusion yeah like it's very easy to disappoint yourself <laughs> like it's ridiculously <laughs> easy to disappoint yourself oh my god on a daily basis i disappoint myself <laughs> yeah yes exactly but, um... no, but... <laughs> But it's it's fine, man. You just got to keep trying. Um, you know that, that that's that's the that's the name of the game. Don't give up. Absolutely. Um, but the, the the main challenge for me with with everything is just trying to promote myself online because obviously that's the best way of doing it. Because with everything being digital in the first place, like the songs are on YouTube, on Spotify, I can't just tap somebody on the street and say, "Listen to this." That's too weird. Yeah. It's much easier just to put put something on Facebook and say, people that I do know, would you like to listen to this? And again, with the confidence issue, it's it's it was very difficult for me to to present myself in a way that I thought you want to hear my stuff. You know, the whole the whole empowering people to be interested in what I'm doing. It's like it's, it's as if saying what I say or what I'm putting out there is important to you for you to put your time into what I've done. So it's like, it's like weighing up, the, weighing up all the balances. I want to 
I put a lot of, I put effort and time and thought and heart and energy into what I'm doing. But then I don't want to put it on other people to, to go out of their way to listen to it. But you do want to, you want to get something out of it at the end, but you don't have to force it down people's throats. Yeah. So you've got to create this kind of persona, this kind of advert. It's, it's advertising at the end of the day. And um, you've got to be confident with it because if you're not confident with it and you're not putting yourself behind it and it's just going to fall flat, you know? Absolutely. Where can we find out more of what you do on social media, John? Um, on Facebook, if you type in the first street belief, um, exactly the same on YouTube, exactly the same on Spotify, if you're on Apple Music, um, yeah, pretty much everywhere you can think of. The first street belief is awesome. there. Well, John, can I just say thank you very much for coming on today. I've really enjoyed it. And I think the insight that you've shared and the conversation we have had has been both important and enlightening. So huge appreciation to you for having this chat. And I look forward to checking out your music and promoting it more through my Instagram and my platform. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers. I hope it wasn't too negative. Um, yeah, but cheers. Cheers.